Welcome to the Driving Change Podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network, where we live at the intersection of neuroscience and storytelling. If you love great stories and you love understanding the mindset it takes to be a world-class change agent, then join us as our fascinating guests from all walks of life unpack their unique journeys of perseverance and passion, of expertise and experience, and be inspired to use your own story to drive change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And as usual, I have a very insightful and intriguing guest on today, someone who's, I guess you could call him an expert at the conversation of being curious around the narrative forms of, you see, I'm just going down a street. You see where I'm going with this? No, you don't have no idea where I'm going with this on the show. I will tell you though, that Andrew Barry is an expert in a lot of ways like us, what we love around communication. He approaches it from a very creative and innovative angle. And I can't wait for him to unpack it. He's the founder and CEO of Curious Lion. And it's a company that specializes in human transformation. They really focus on leaders and teams to help fulfill their potential using methodologies that are in adult learning principles, which is a lot of his background, a little human psychology, which you know we love around here. And we're going to get into his expertise in the power of questions. Uh, they're working with a lot of organizations today on how they do this in a very unique way. Um, he started Curious Line in, in 2017, but before that, he was actually the head of content for KPMG's executive education and they decided that they weren't learning anything from him, so they kicked him out to go. No, I'm kidding. He was so good at it that he was able to start his own company to teach more than just the people at KPMG. And he's also got the Learning Culture Podcast, which you're going to want to check that out. You're going to want to follow him as well on social and LinkedIn and other places. Now, he's an original South African, hence the really cool accent that I can't replicate or duplicate, but now lives in New Jersey with his wife and his son. Andrew, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you for that amazing intro and it's really good to be here. It's great to have you. So, you know, as we always say, nobody really cares what you know until they know about what you care about and they, they don't really care about anything about what you can teach them until they believe they can trust you and they can't trust you until they feel like they can know you. So lay it on us, brother. What's your origin story? Where do you come from? Share with us some of your values, beliefs, who's taught them to you and how you became this amazing human being that's before us today. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Um, so yeah, it be, it begins where this accent began in in South Africa, and um, I spent the first twenty seven odd years of my life there. And uh, it's a very it was a very interesting it's a very interesting place to grow up. For those who who don't know, I mean, most people probably do, but South Africa um, you know suffered through a 20, 30 years of apartheid. Um, which pretty much ended when I was born. So I was born as you know a white kid in um, you know a solidly middle to upper class kind of upbringing just you know pretty comfortable financially in a, in a country that was you know devastated by this separation and um, and so you know, grew up quite sheltered from that perspective which is which is true for most white South Africans um, but you know I was always curious about it and always I was learning a lot about the I, I'm fascinated in South African history probably the only person in the world who's more fascinated is my brother who I think will probably end up writing a book or something on this he's a, a tour guide in South Africa but just in, entrenched in kind of that history of this, this continent and, and this country specifically and the thing that I want people to know about South Africa is that the original South Africans are not even 
they are the minority of the minority. Like they barely exist anymore. Everybody in South Africa now is, you know, an interloper from, from various parts. We had the Dutch and the British who colonized. We had, you know, Bantu tribes who moved down through, through uh, middle parts of Africa who are now the nine other indigenous. South Africa has 11 indigenous um, languages, basically English, Afrikaans from the Dutch and the British. And then in nine African languages, Kosa and Zulu and Sutu, and all of these these tribes came from somewhere else. You know, so it's this this disputed land, this contested land at the bottom of the African continent that um, is still going through that process of like, whose is this? You know, who, identity essentially. And so what this means to me is, you know, this uh, this idea of identity has kind of always been ever present for me. And where I've reached in my own personal journey on that is that we are all ultimately fundamentally connected in some way. And that defines a lot. You talked about beliefs and values. It defines a lot about of the work we do. Um, I think we all have some ability to tap into a higher consciousness, a collective intelligence. Um, we can channel that by, by getting in touch with our own unique ability and identity um, and a lot of our work tries to bring that out into people. And I think that's where transformation comes from. And it's all best, I think, described in this this concept that I learned from South Africa called Ubuntu. I don't know if have you have you heard about Ubuntu before? Someone else was talking about that, but I don't remember exactly what it means. It, it's it's really cool. And it's basically Ubuntu basically means I am because you are, right? So like I, I don't have an an identity in existence without you helping me bring that into you know, by your perception of who I am and all that. And so that, that, that spirit is fundamental in the African culture. And, um, I think it's rubbed off a lot on me. You know, we are, we are better together. Um, we all have different unique skills and, and abilities that we can bring to the table. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I've seen a lot in my work. Um, I left South Africa 13 years ago, um, the other thing about South Africa is it's very small and my identity was very much defined by who I was growing up and coming to America, that was an opportunity And America. I think it presents this opportunity over and over again, which is what I love about it is you can totally reinvent that identity. Um, and, and that's what I did. And I came here, I didn't know anyone, I knew one person and, um, and I was basically able to start from scratch, which was, which was amazing. I, I worked at KPMG at that time. So I was, I was lucky in, in that sense to be able to come over with them. Um, you know, they sponsored my green card and eventually got citizenship and all that essentially through that firm. Um, but I was able to start from, from scratch and I never would have started my business curious line in South Africa. It's just like, and we can, we can unpack that if you want, but it's just, it's, it's not the right, it wasn't the right environment. I'm a, I'm a very different person to, to who I am now. And I think my present self kind of has reshaped the narrative of my past self and those stories and those, those, um, those lessons and all that growing up. So, yeah, I think in a nutshell that that's, you know, that South African root, that Ubuntu, that collectiveness, um, that we're all connected in some way is, is there. But it's also married now with this ability to constantly reinvent. And I think I see that in people around me all the time. Like we all have this insane potential that we, with a little bit of guidance, and this is where I think coaching conversations become so important, which I know you talk a lot about. With a bit of that guidance, you, I mean, it's, you can, it's, 
the sky's the limit. You know, like there's there's no telling what you can actually you can actually achieve. Um, and I think it, coming to America taught me that as well. So you said something there I think is pretty interesting. Is I've not heard it said that way before that your present self has st- helped you reshape your past self. Mm. T- tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, it's um. It's one of those things where I've known it implicitly. And then just recently I came across the work of Dr. Benjamin Hardy, where he he made it explicit. And I was like, oh, you know, that's what's happening. And it's essentially this idea that um, the past, the present, and the future all happens at the same time, essentially, right? Our experience of it. There's no past that is like behind us and we cannot access it anymore. Yes, there are events that happened in the past, but the stories that we tell ourselves, the narratives that we choose to believe. Are, we 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 have agency over that, right? And so we can even with trauma, right? And there's, his study kind of looks a lot at, at post traumatic growth. His, you know, trauma can break or can make or break someone, and it's it's not. I don't want to sound flippant here and say it's you know, like it's it's free agency and everyone can do this, but it's it's it takes a lot of work, obviously. But you can define what that story is. Um, and, and I've certainly done that in my own life, looking at, looking at that upbringing and, and looking at it in new ways. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very, <clears throat> very wise way to think about some people are stuck. They say they're stuck in the past or they live in the past or they're, they live in shame of their past or there's a lot of things in their past that have really held them down from being able to be more, not only in the present, but then it limits their thinking in the future. So I like that, that our, we're all a part of the sum of our life's experiences. And we think about sometimes as a progressive linear path. And once you've stepped past chapter one and you're on to chapter two, well, chapter one's in the rear view, but no, not really. Uh, You're saying that it's all threaded through into the past, present, and future into what you would argue is all wrapped up into what's possible, right? What's yeah. Potential. Well, and so, yeah, so to, so this future self as well, which I'll talk about for, for a sec, but I think that's why you asked that question to start your podcast, right? Cause it's so, what our past does define who we are, but I think the thing that I've started to realize as I've gotten older is that we, we get to shape that narrative. If you, if you're intentional about it, you can shape that narrative. It, it doesn't define you. It's not something that happens to you. It's something that you have agency over. Um, and this applies equally to the future self, that, that concept of who we are. And I know you, you, the power of visualization, um, I'm sure it comes up a lot in your work. We use that a lot. You know, that's a huge thing as well to think about that whole thread, basically your origin story and your future self. And, and Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan talk about 10xing that, you know, having something that seems so impossible that it, it defines that that crazy 10x vision defines the the present person you are now the things you do how you show up the goals that you pursue um and and so yeah i I really started to play around with that and you know preparing for this podcast thinking about this opening question just looking at that narrative thread and seeing like if i had done this podcast with you two years ago this whole story would have come out differently right you know and i think that's so fascinating what's also interesting too is if if someone comes on and and you ask them a question about, hey, you know, tell us what you're working on today. What, what are you, what are you, what are you working on? That you're excited about, and then you start talking about everything you're doing at Curious Lion. The the listener, which is by the way who the show's about, the listener has to determine if they care about that, right? About what you're doing, yeah. But by saying, hey, tell me your origin story and where you come from, even if I have no idea what South Africa looks like, smells like, behaves like, what it's doing is it's triggering in me what my origin story. Is like it almost helps people to take an inventory of their own story just simply by sharing your 
your past story, whereas a, 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 a seems to be someone's present story doesn't have quite the impact to do that psychologically, right? I'm evaluating it in my analytical network when you're telling me a present credibility story versus my emotional empathic network of my own story when you're telling me a personal origin story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if this comes down to that difference between kind of logic-based thought and, and narrative-based thought. And you, we have a, a mutual you know, friend and, and podcast guest and et cetera, et cetera, Angus Fletcher, who, who many who on this show will have heard on yours. And, and, you know, I learned this from him. Like, I think the way we can describe, and I don't think I even did a great job of that now when I answered your question, is to really get into the nuances and specifics of, uh, you know, of what growing up in South Africa was like, right? But but that question, if this whole show was just about that, we could have, we could unpack a lot of stories around that. And the stories carry, stories take implicit things that I have figured out and internalized, my values and beliefs, and make them external or explicit, and then the listeners who are listening in here can take that explicit story and, and, and internalize it and make it implicit through the process you described, through saying, oh, this is like what I had or this is not like this, this was different, right? And so then you start to, whereas the present thing, I think also like you're answering that, that question in a much more fact, logical base. Like I have done this and this and this, I get this award and it's much more like fact-based and that doesn't, it doesn't invite that same level of, interaction with it. Yeah, it's, it's it's huge. And we teach people this all the time and you can see it unfold. But I think to your point, taking it and pulling it from the unconscious to the conscious helps you go from being intuitive to intentional Yeah, in the way that you ask questions and the way that you communicate with others. So I love it. That's, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, Angus is just right up the road at Ohio State with all of his work on on all this stuff. And people who haven't listened to that episode can rewind uh, a season and a half and go back and listen to it because he's very, very sharp at that. So you've, um, I want to know what was the, take me into the room where the moment happened. And I know it's never just one moment, but I'm going to make you go there, right? At KPMG, when you said to yourself, self, I should go do this on my own. Yeah. Like when, when was that spark? And, and I'm sure it was not just that one moment, but yeah. uh, what was the evolution of that moment to then to the point of having the guts to go do it? Yeah. You know, this is such a good question. And, and I've thought about this a lot because it was not, it was definitely a long sequence of events. Um, I think right from the beginning, I knew, um, you know, I was in like this thing about Ubuntu, we talked about connectedness or I, because of my interest in that growing up, I was always into like, Buddhism and meditation and like way before my friends, you know, so this, we're like, I'm talking like late teens, early twenties. Yeah. I was, I was, I was really into that kind of thing. And actually I spent two years of my time in South Africa, the last year of my college um, and the first year of my work at Cape and G actually with dreadlocks. Um, and so I, you know, I had these long dreadlocks. I was barefoot. I, I wasn't barefoot at KPMG. I didn't, that was probably a bridge too far, but I was barefoot, you know, college. And so it was very different. I was a very different person back then. Um, and, you know, so I think a lot of that, like, um, I, I just felt like it was interesting. It, it's at the same time, I was really good at, you know, logical analytical things like maths and accounting and whatever. So, I studied in South Africa to become a chartered accountant, like one of the top professional the top probably designation you get there. And my dream was to kind of and, and sort of a self-imposed, no, not a, an imposed upon me dream, but, but like that I had assimilated as well. I was like, oh, I should take this path. 
which was to become the CEO of a company. It's like, okay, that's, you know, I have the potential to do that. I'm going to go on that path. And, you know, ironically, I am the CEO of a company now, but it's my own. That, you know, that was not on the cards back then, right? Not at all. And so I had these like very conflicting, I had this, you know, very spiritual, um, you know, kind of background and interest. And then this, uh, this ability to be, you know, good at these, you know, things basically like business things. And so, you know, I was, I was trying to marry those two. And I think that showed up a lot at KPMG. I was just, I was like, I wanted to, I'm just, I, I always thought of a better way to do something. I, I was always questioning the status quo and, you know, <laughs> Like I look at my own company now, like I, I, I want to have people like that as well. But some people that fulfill certain roles, I don't want them to be doing that. You know, I just want them to be like doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so I think at times I piss people off and sometimes I, you know, it's, and, but others like mentors of mine saw that potential, right. And kind of pulled, pulled me out and um, pulled me aside, I guess, and took me under their wing. And funnily enough, there were three strong female leaders that did this for me. One in Johannesburg, um, and then two here in in New Jersey at both and all three of them at KPMG, and um, yeah, somehow they saw something different in me, and you know, and I think you know the fact that they were female is significant because they were, you know, it's a very male dominated, especially one of them like grew up in the ninety, like she was the first partner in insurance at KPMG in New York City, and like that was a massively male dominated thing, and she was she broke that that ceiling, you know. And so I think saw that like I was different, you know, I just, I was, I didn't like, I could do what you told me to do, but I kind of didn't want to, I was always doing something different. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, that's the chain of events that finally led up to the point where then it, I think it just became down to courage, honestly, like having the courage to do it. Cause I like, or had always wanted it. I always been at seen that I, you know, was, I could think about things differently. And then the courage thing eventually clicked into a place where yeah, it's kind of funny actually, because it was a complete false, like I, I get, I, 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 t I sold myself a narrative, which felt right at the time that I had a friend who left KPMG just before I did. He went to JP Morgan. He had a really good position there and it felt like there would be a good opportunity at JP Morgan. So I'd break free, do my own thing. And that would be my first client. And what a great first client to have. Right. Um, and so like I did that and I made all these, we were going to do compliance tra training videos. And so I made a portfolio of these things and we had this long sales process with them. I never want, they didn't become a client. I've never actually worked with a bank and we've never created compliance videos. But like the, that thing is what got me to do it. And what I learned quickly was that it, the market tells you what they want. And so just showing up and being, and then, then I, I was like, I had no choice, you know, I had to just show up and engage and figure out what people needed. And then, so at the beginning I was just taking on whatever I could and that's kind of how it got started. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, necessity is the mother invention. I just, I had to figure out a plan. Um, and I did, and, and I built up the courage in whatever way felt right at the time to do it. Um, and yeah, those, all those things kind of led to, to where I am. Now is the, where did the lion come from? Yeah. So the South African connection, obviously like it's always been a spirit animal for me growing up in South Africa. Um, I'm also a Leo by, by star sign by birth. So that's in it there. Um, yeah, just a spirit animal, you know, and, and the, as you get deeper into it, the way the pride is structured, um, the hierarchy within it, the collaboration, like everything about lion's life appealed to me. You can, I can go to a, a safari and just spend five days staring at lions. Like, yeah, it's amazing. 
you're you're drawn to the uh, the spirit animal of the lion and the actual lion. To me, the iron, irony of a lion is in, in in the states. You know, we've got the the antithesis, right? Lions are known as the king of the jungle, but then you got the Wizard of Oz, where the lion had no courage. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was that it's that dichotomy I think that makes the lion such a fascinating. With your company yeah. being called Cur- you know, Curious Lion, yeah, it's it's got a pretty cool. So I was curious. I was curious how that all developed. Well, and and curiosity was the key part, but the other part was I liked about curious was strange, different. You know, like and and so that was also like I always thought that was part of what we were. You know, it was a different take on whatever we were doing at the time. Yeah, and I hated that expression growing up. Is you know, my dad would always say, you know, curiosity would kill the cat. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, my papa would have a different take on it, right? Like curiosity yeah. also comes up with five different ways to solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. So the key is to not, not get killed while you're solving the problem, right? <laughs> uh, I know. I, I read the stories about you growing up on that farm in, in Ohio. And yeah, I mean, I yeah, you wouldn't have got far without curiosity. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Well, good. Well, let's um, – I love your – a little bit about your expertise because you've been doing this now since 17 and you've kind of figured it out as you go along. And I've met and talked with a lot of entrepreneurs and as they've grown something, obviously, you know, you're, you're still in business. So you, you haven't had to have a real job, as I say, since, yeah. since, okay. since 2017. What would you say is maybe the one or two really keys to your success at being able to stay out of the workplace and create your own entity and your own kind of idea of what you can do to solve problems for other people and then actually build a team around it. What have been a couple of your keys to success for those who are maybe thinking about starting something new or maybe they're in the middle of something new and just need some encouragement? Yeah, that's a great question. The the first thing that comes to mind is is a thing that we are kind of building a product around now is, is adaptability. You know, I just, I had to, I have, we have gone through so many iterations. You know, at the beginning it was these, these compliance videos for banks never happened. Um, the real first work was just whatever people had. It was really just me using the royal we with everything, but like it was just a freelancer. And then, you know, slowly built a team of freelancers and then we were taking on, you know, it's, it's kind of like where we got to now. And I think we're kind of going into a 3.0 phase now, which is, um, you know, from like taking briefs from clients to to be able to have a, a clear point of view around what, um leadership development and organizational effectiveness and all that should look like. So yeah, it's been, it's definitely been an evolution and I think being able to adapt to the client's needs, um, requests, what's happening, like the adaptive intelligence product that we, that we're working on now has really come about because of my own experience, but I mean, everybody around us in our team and certainly I think throughout the world's experience through COVID, you know, like having, that was a huge shock to the system and, I think for me, where I'm at with all of this now is that 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 is just the norm going forward. Like it's not, it is not going to ever not be like that. And so, to to treat change as something that's linear, um, you know, finite and predictable, is just crazy to me. Like, why are we doing this? You know, like, and and unfortunately, a lot of leadership and management training does that. Like, it's not linear and it's not finite and it's not predictable. Like, why are we not? Why are we treating or training people like it is these three things? Um, so that's a big thing. Like being able to adapt to to that to change um, has definitely helped a lot. And and I try to reverse engineer my process a lot on these things. And I think a lot of it is just being a lot of it comes down to just being reflective. I don't know how how important this is in, in your your work, but like you know, to me, like most most ancient wisdom can be summarized with the the, the phrase like "know thyself." 
you know, like that's ultimately what it comes down to and, and being able to really know who you are, like wh- what um, your values and beliefs, like you asked at the beginning, but also like, what are the stories I tell myself? How are they limiting me? What new stories can I tell myself? What does my future self want and not need? You know, all these kind of things is just the key to that adaptive ability, which is growth, right? Which is growth mindsets and, and all these other, these other things. So I just, I see those parallels across a lot of people's work, which is awesome. And I think it's all for the better of, you know, mankind ultimately. Um, so, sorry, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but, but yeah, adaptive, adaptability is key. And then I think the other one, honestly, is trust um, around the team that I've built. I think that's one of the things I'm most proud about around with our team is that there's an element of trust that I have in them and they have in, with me, but then also amongst themselves. And I think a lot of this, because I've witnessed, I, I've, I've had leaders who are like this and I've had leaders who are not, and we work with clients that have a mix of both. And ultimately what it comes down to is just that vulnerability to show up in front of them and and be honest. I mean, I, I had to do this this year. We had to, we've had a tough, tough year um, compared to previous years. Like, in fact, I think this year I've realized that business and work came too easily to me up until this point. And this year, like we've had to put on our big boy pants and like really figure out what's what's going on in, 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 our, in our business and the market. And that's been good. Right, that's been good for us. Like, we're going to be a better company because of this. And I've had to be, I've had to tell my my team this. You know, I've had to tell them that this is things aren't as easy as they once were. We're not getting as much work. You know, I've actually had to tell them that I almost don't know how we got work in the past. That's the problem. (laughs) You know, like it sort of happened a lot. Like, and and I didn't really care to try find out because it kept coming in and things were good. And now we've had to really figure out why and get more specific in our positioning and our point of view and all that. And again, it's all going to make us better. Right. Um, but the but the sharing, just to go back to the trusting, the sharing of that with my team has been has been a huge factor in that trust being there. Because now, even in this tough time, they they're still there, right? They know like we're going to get through this and um, and want to contribute in ways outside of what's expected of them. And so it's. It's incredible. And I, I think ultimately that's leadership and trust or trust is like the core part of leadership for me. Yeah. And I think you touched on this earlier too. And, and um, I can relate to this as I've had to learn <clears throat> over the 12 years of running brain trust is though I might have the, the innovation gene where I'm thinking of some crazy creative thing in the shower that's, you know, next level stuff that we'll put together on, you know, yeah. whatever, how we're going to use AI to do something nutty with yeah, yeah. Um, that. And I used to, I used to make the mistake of thinking that that was creative thinking and innovation. What I do, my, my ideation is the way that it's, it, that, that's the only lens of ideation and creativity. And, and what I've learned, cause you touched on it earlier is, is everybody has a role and a function here. Now, not everyone's wired the same way that I'm wired, yet they can be innovative inside their role mm-hmm. and, and giving them the space and the freedom to do that without them feeling like they've got to innovate the way that I do, or at the same time, that they have to innovate at all, but that they should be thinking about, hey, I, I have this role and the function in the company. I should be thinking about creative and innovative things to do inside there that don't break our process, right? That enhance it. And, and it, that was a hard lesson for me because I'm, I'm the next big idea guy, right? That's, the, yeah, that's yeah. The part of the world I live in every day. And I've had to throttle a little bit of that back, not, not in the way that I'm doing it, how often I'm 
communicating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you create an environment of trust, to your point, that lets others feel like they have a voice in, in innovation. Yeah. Yeah, I think this brings up a lot of things for me. Um, ultimately, what you're trying to get to is the best possible outcome, right? So I'm assuming from you, from little I know about you, but from talking to you, you welcome constructive criticism, feel like you want to get the best outcome, not that your idea is right, but that you get to the, the right idea. And the the beauty of that, what you said, everyone's wired differently is, um, and this is, I learned from Angus, is that the power of perspective shifting. And so seeing things from multiple different angles. And so many people talk about this through, again, through like ancient li- like literature and all that sort of stuff is just the more perspectives you can see things from the better, you know, like, like uh, Einstein and um, Edison talked about this a lot. Like that's, they were not, they didn't come. And this is the common, like people have this misconception about creativity that like that idea in the shower comes fully formed, you know, like it, it doesn't, right. You know, it doesn't. And, and, and like people need to know that that's okay. Like the, the first thing that comes out of your mind is, is the thing that came out of your mind. Like just keep going with that. Right. It's, and then someone adds to it. Like the creative process is about refining and elaborating and then re- stripping away. And you can't do that on your own. Like no human brain can totally do that on their own. It's all, you're all taking in inputs from other people and other things. And so, yeah, I mean, I, the collaborative nature of creativity is fascinating to me. Do you find it's been, um, in, in, as you guys have grown and you've added people to the team, one of the things that's an advantage of being a founder is you've learned how to increase the speed with which your ideation and innovation goes from large scale all over the wall to quickly into practical, into yeah. execution. And you've learned, your brain has learned the process of how to take this big giant idea that's all over the the size of the wall and immediately look at it and go, that won't work. That won't work, but we're going to run with this one. And then do that in a team environment is hard to kind of hold back, right? When you've got people who are now ideating, but you can clearly see which parts of their ideation is not going to work and not necessarily stomping on it, but letting it kind of breathe because you could be wrong. Like you have enough of that self-awareness that you, you might get too fast, right? So this is such a good point because the enemy of creativity is early judgment, right? Like that—that that is such a, I've had to really learn that as well because I'm also like the first to want to, no, 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 you know, like but the enemy of creativity is early judgment. So you have to resist that urge to do it. And um, yeah, we do, we use the uh, creative problem solving sort of framework. So breaking problem solving. I'm going to quote you on that. I'm going to write that down and quote yeah, you it's, I, I, I'm sure I stole it from somewhere, but it's, yeah. Well, it, you stole it from somewhere, but you're going to get credit for yeah. it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, you see that show up when you break creativity down or any problem solving process down rather. There's, you know, there's sort of defining the problem. Then there's like solution, solution creation. And then there's, you know, implementation. And each of those processes has what you're describing, this like diamond shaped, process of con is of diverge and then converge so around the problem statement like diverge what are we actually solving here what are the criteria for success and then and then converge to that actual problem now we understand the problem do the same thing in solutioning you know and that's where like i think angus's work is so great because he's really pushes the boundaries i think of what's possible around diverge because if you and if you again if you adopt that thing of we're just in diverge now so move judgment at the door, right? Leave judgment at the door. Like we're not converging at all. We're just diverging. So I want to hear everyone's story and we're going to be here until we've heard the full story and no excuse, no, like um, this is, this shows up a lot in um, like after action reviews or, you know, 
postmortems or whatever projects where it's so easy to like jump to the, oh, let's just get to the list of things that we want to get done, you know, or, or like improve for next time. But no, if you actually spend the time to diverge properly and hear from everyone's perspective, you will get to that outcome in 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 the same like amount of time, but you will understand it more like in your bones, more implicitly because you've gone through that pro- that narrative process. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a huge lesson. I think for everyone, just like hold off on that judgment thing. Get all as many ideas as possible because you don't know which ones may look like shitty ideas at the beginning, but when you combine it with another one that came out, t- you know, fifteen minutes later, yeah, you never know what's possible. And that that kind of dovetails into then. We're talking about it almost in the constructs of a business or an entrepreneur or a small business or even inside a corporate America in a boardroom. It's creatively mm-hmm. doing brainstorming. But I think it also happens in our everyday personal lives, doesn't it? So I think about how people have an idea about something. And then quickly, I, I say it all the time, the most important story you're going to hear all day is the one going on between your ears. Is how quickly we converge our own thoughts into, well, that probably won't work. Yeah. So you have this brilliant idea inside your head in the shower. And by the time you got your socks on, it's, you've already convinced yourself it's no good. Yeah. And so personally, I think we limit ourselves and our thinking and our potential just because we, we prejudge. And, and so then that, what you do is you create a pattern of that behavior. And then next thing you know, you've got a, you've got a fixed mindset. You didn't even know how you got it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it's actually probably for me personally, more is more of a problem in my personal life. Cause I feel like that's a, a domain where I feel like I, you know, I know what I'm doing like a bit more like, whatever. And so I'm more also opinionated and more like sure about what I know. And it's, it's really, again, a lot of people talk about this, but it's more about what you don't know. Right. That's more important than, than what you do. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard thing too. Right. And I think part of it's the self-preservation orientation and the ego and all the different things around your own pride. And, all. and then it's coupled with this, this voice of complete insecurity for most people. <laughs> so you're in this tug of war that you're having every day. Constant. Right. And I think all of us are. So I think when guys like you and I talk about it, Someone out there listening is going, yes, okay, that's, that's, these guys, you know, they're on, they're running their own business and they're, yeah. they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about either. They wake up every day struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. Totally. I, I always say like people are, everyone's winging it. Everyone's winging it. And that's, and it's this process. Cause like, I think you can have it figured out for a while and, and to, and to the outside, it can look like you've got it all figured out, but it's just, everything happens in peaks and valleys. Like it just means that someone's seen you at the peak and the valley's coming. Like, and if you're not, and that's why I love that you talk about intention so much. If you're not intentional about preparing for that and thinking about that ahead, like you're not, you're not, you're gonna have a really bad valley, you know. But you can, you can be intentional about it and be ready for it. And um, yeah, and just recognizing that everyone's going through that. No one really has it figured out. And what's your predisposition? Because I think a, a, a lot of folks are predisposed to they have a thought or an idea, and their predisposition is almost to go, well, that's a bad idea. But what if yeah. it's a good idea? What, what if you play the what if, what if I'm right? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm right? But we only tend to, most people tend to play one side of that conversation and then they kind totally. of keep beating that neural pathway into, into a groove, right? Yes, the, yeah, the, exactly. And I think, I think the key here is to understand what your natural inclination is and then to make sure you surround yourself with people who can balance that. And I, and I didn't do this intentionally in marrying my wife, but that is what has happened in our in our thing. I am the kind of person who will, who sees like gives the benefit of the doubt, sees the the positive side, like trust someone implicitly, like 
yes, this is this idea works, and then show me that it doesn't. And she's the opposite. She's like this. There's she sees all the reasons why it won't work, you know. And so that is there's tension. There's a lot of like conflict that can um, depending on what we're debating. But it's so if for, in terms of getting to the right outcome, it's so valuable because like yeah, it's all my blind spots. And see, we're doing marriage counseling now. You didn't even know we were going to get into that today, right? Exactly. I know. Well, my, my wife and I are very similar that way, where she's the opposite. She's much more pragmatic, and I, I have an anything is possible mindset. Yeah, and it's ludicrous. Like it's absolutely ludicrous because, you know, I, and I tell my team this, like, hey, I'll have 10 good ideas this week and, and, and two of them are probably pretty good. Yeah. The, the art is learning how to pick out the two <laughs> out of the eight. And, and, that's, and that's also the key, right? Because you've got to focus. You can't run all 10. You, otherwise you wouldn't, you know, so yeah, that, that's, you need those people to help you do that. So what do you think as we, we kind of start to round third here, what, what is uh, your calling as you see, and I know you're one of those people that knows not to ever define it as such as finite. Yeah, yeah. But what are you what are you dreaming for over the next you know three, four, five years, and or, or hoping? And I know hope's not a strategy, but we all have these kind of inclinations of dreams that we're heading in a direction, and we think that our purpose is kind of guiding us to do this kind of work for these kind of folks and solve these kind of problems. What's that look like for you? Yeah, oh, I love this question. Um, yeah, I think for uh, for me, the thing that I've always wanted and and always um, hoped for for people is to experience personal transformations, and you know I've I've I'm very that way inclined for myself, and I think um, while I could probably push this a little too far in that oh this is possible for everyone like I you know I think the ability the ability to reflect isn't evenly distributed right some people just can't do that and and or, or you know don't want to and for whatever reasons there's a lot to do. I don't know if you're like into the Enneagram and kind of like, you know, effective IFS and all that sort of stuff. Your childhood experiences define a lot of this, you know, and, and I, thanks with my therapist, I sort of understood this a bit better, right? That not everyone is wired that same way, whether it's from neglect or trauma and different things can make that impossible. But that said, I think everyone has a potential that, that is more than where they are now. And I think with the right kind of guidance and mentoring and conditions, sort of the system part that we talk about, we can we can help people do that. And so from a business perspective, what I'm driven by, what I love doing and what I want to be doing for the next 20 years is helping people achieve personal transformations at scale. Um, and so we love working with, with big teams where, you know, the, the company is large enough where it, they our stuff works best with that kind of size. So we can... I think that's what we're the best at doing. We we can engineer an experience. Typically, it's a nine to twelve months experience that has the best chance of getting that cohort of people a personal transformation. Right? There's a lot of factors else that need to go into the motivation being number one. But for the most part, and we work with like high potentials and high performers, so for the most part, motivation is not an issue. And so we think we can create those conditions and that experience that can get people from basically an identity shift. You know, like they are, they will be, they want, they will come out feeling like a different person, a better person. And the part that really gets me going is that this shows up in their, in their normal, in their life. And I think you talk about this as well. It's not just showing up in that sales conversation or that coaching conversation or whatever, um, in the business decisions they have to make. It's in their, their personal lives, you know. And I think that's a lot of the stuff we talked about is universal. We, we even went there, like to, to, to how it shows up in personal life. And so, that to me is awesome. I think just being able to facilitate that for people 
I could do that for forever. That's great. All right, last question. And we'll take it, we're going to take it right off of that question is however many years down the road, let's hope it's 30, 40 years. Um, you know, your time here is done and you've got your, someone who is the one or two closest people in your life are getting up talking about the impact that you made on, on this earth. What, what do you hope they say about you? Yeah, I think, I think if people say, if people said that I just, I showed up every single time and showed up in a way that made them want to be better, that, that would be, that would be great for me. Like just show people what's possible. Not, not in the sense of like, I'm going to, you know, wow them or outdo them or whatever, but just showed up and showed up that I'm, it's a mixture of vulnerability and I want to keep growing and I want to keep getting better. And like, if I show up like that and want, and try to be my best self in front of them, that they see something in that and go, yeah, I want to make a change like this too. Um, yeah. That's all. I know it's a deep question and one to, to end on, but I think it's a guiding question, right? It's a, totally. <clears throat> you started this thing off with looking backwards to, to, to look into the present. And as we look into the future, I think if we were ultimately at the end of our time in this realm and we looked backwards, that's probably a question we should ask ourselves, right? Was what, what do we once said? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I think if you, again, if you asked me this maybe 10 years ago, I would have said, I would have like listed things that I wanted to have achieved. And like, that's, you know, but I don't think people remember people like that. You know, right. like I, I, I lost my mom a year and a half ago now, and it was a, a you know, life-changing thing that happened. And one of the biggest lessons I've got from that is those memories of her are the way she showed up and the things that, it's it's impossible to describe and i think you almost have to lose someone that close to know what that means but like yeah. you know it i know like the parts there are parts of me that are that are me because of that you know because of how she showed up not because of some concrete thing she did or you know what i mean and so yeah i think ultimately if 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 i can be like that and showing up being present with everyone i'm with then i've got a good chance i'm going to inspire one or two people along the way to, to do the same I love it. That's great. Well, thank you uh, so much for being on. I I enjoyed the conversation tremendously. I think it probably through a narrative based way created some curiosity in the listener to think about their own story, maybe slightly different as well in what they're working on. And so where can we find more out about you and your company and what you're working on? Yeah, Jeff, thanks for, for, for all of that. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation as well. Um, so if people want to check out more about Curious Lion, go to curiouslionlearning.com. Um, and if you want to learn about adaptive intelligence, I touched on that a little bit earlier, um, we have a, 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 a free email course on the topic. So curiouslionlearning.com forward slash flip for flipping the script. And you can get that course there um, and learn a little bit more about it. That's great. Well, this has been a blast. And also don't forget that uh, if you're listening out there, check out Andrew's podcast as well, the Learning uh, the learning Culture podcast, and which, which has a lot of great, intriguing conversation on it as well. And uh, we'll, we'll have you back periodically just to check in with you and see how things are going and how you're evolving. And I'm going to get you on that on that show because I'd love to hear your take on learning culture for your team at Brain Trust. Uh, I guess it should be a great conversation. Excellent. Well, um, Thank you for being on and enjoy the rest of your time this year as you plan for next year and best of luck to you. Yep. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Hey, 
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.